Good evening. It's 8 o'clock in Yerushalayim. This is WebYeshiva.org. And it's time to begin our regular halacha shir. We're talking about head covering, and we're in the men's section of the of the series, men covering their, their hair, their head. And, and what we saw last time was a fairly clear, straightforward conclusion uh, based on the, uh, on the sources and the Gemara and the Rishonim and so forth and so on, a fairly straightforward conclusion that there is no obligation for men uh, to cover their heads. It's midat hasidut, uh, a, a, an act of piety above and beyond what uh, halacha requires. We have midat hasidut spelled correctly on chat. You know, like a midat chasidut, a, a, a level of piety above and beyond what is required by halacha. That's that's nice. I mean, that's that's commendable. That's praiseworthy. That's advisable. But there's some distance between being good on the one hand and being required on the other. Some someone who doesn't cover his head is guilty of nothing. And being guilty of nothing, there's nothing to repent for. I mean, he, he, he can be entirely kosher. That's the picture we saw last week. At the end of the shiur, we saw the opinion of the Taz. Maybe I can get it again on the screen. We, we, at the end of last week, we saw the opinion of the Taz. The Taz disagreed with everything we had seen uh, during the shiur. The Taz said, since there's a commandment in the Torah, of bechuko tehem lo lechu, since there's a commandment in the Torah that we are supposed to act and behave and conduct ourselves differently than they do, the Canaanites, uh, the non-Jews amongst whom we live, and since they are careful to uncover their heads as a sign of respect when they stand in the presence of an important person, when they come into the into the building and so forth and so on. So we have to keep our heads covered. And that's a Torah requirement based on this verse. So, so now we have a voice, namely that of the Taz, holding that there's a Torah requirement for men to cover their heads so as, so that they will be uh, distinguished, so that the men will be distinguished from the way the non-Jews uh, address. Now, that's what we saw at the end of last week's Shi'ur. Let's continue now with new stuff. What we're going to be looking at now is the Beis Yosef. Uh, Beis Yosef, written by Rabbi Yosef Karo, who subsequently gave us the Shulchan Aruch. But the Beis Karo was an earlier work. The Beis Yosef is an earlier work that he wrote, an encyclopedic uh, commentary on, uh, on the whole of of uh, applicable halacha nowadays. He doesn't have much about about uh, you know sacrifices in the temple and stuff like that. But it, it's a it, it's a encyclopedic commentary on everything which is applicable nowadays. In any event, uh, Rabbi Yosef Karo writes as follows: Nearly, it seems to me. And of course, uh, as we've seen over and over again, the rabbis express themselves modestly. Uh, you know, it seems to me like he's not so committed uh, to the opinion. But of course, no one told him. Uh, no one told him he had to publish uh, this opinion. This is his definitive opinion. It seems to me, Shetam Brachazot, in the morning, when we have a sequence of brachas that we always recite every morning, one of the brachas, one of the blessings that we recite every morning, part of a standard sequence, is Oter Yisrael B'Tifarat. Uh, 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 praise God for, for crowning uh, the Jewish people with, with, with beauty. What's it mean that God crowns uh, the Jewish people with beauty? What's the, what, what's the meaning of that blessing that we recite every morning? The meaning is, because it's prohibited for men to walk around with their heads uncovered. And therefore, there's a blessing to be pronounced every morning for men covering their heads. Well, uh, if the if Chazal, it's even older than Chazal, if the Anshe Knesset HaGedola, the men of the great assembly, the great rabbis preceding uh, the Mishnaic Talmudic period, if they, they're the ones who gave us this sequence of blessings to be recited every morning, if they 
uh, insist upon a blessing every morning for God's telling us to cover our heads. So uh, it turns out we have to cover our heads, right? That, that, that's why we make that blessing every morning. Uh, and this is implied in the in the in the Talmud. And even according to all the rabbis we've seen up till now, except for the Taras, even according to all the rabbis who said that there's no prohibition of uncovering the head, even according to them, the, the, I think it's obligatory for men to cover their head. But even those who don't think it's obligatory think at least it's a it, it's commendable. At least it's a pious act. At least it's advisable. At least it's praiseworthy. It's praiseworthy to always have your covered head. Well, uh, he's expressed his opinion. His opinion is based on his understanding of the meaning of a bracha that we pronounce every morning. You won't be surprised to learn that other people understand the bracha differently. Uh, some people understand the bracha as referring to tefillin, which men put on their head. There are, the, there are many different ways of understanding the bracha. This is the way he understands the bracha, leading him to the conclusion that there's an obligation for men to cover their heads. Now, not only that, now, not only is that his understanding of the blessing, he goes on and says, Sefer Zohar, the Zohar, the fount of Jewish mysticism, the, 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 the book uh, which is the foundation of all Jewish mysticism, says, here you have the page number in the Zohar, the Zohar says, Bar Nash, people, Asur lemezal arba amot are prohibited from walking four cubits. Remember, cubit is from the elbow to the top of the top finger. You're not allowed to walk four cubits. Begiluya deresha with your head uncovered. Mishum de mistalke chaye mine. If you if you walk four cubits with your head uncovered, life will will depart from you. It's not talking about it. doesn't mean you're going to die. It means you won't have a spiritual life, right? Your, your, your spirituality will depart from you if you walk four cubits or more with your head uncovered. Wow. Well, uh, uh, talk all you want about what the halacha requires. And we saw tons of examples that halacha does not require men to cover their head. Talk as long as you want about halachic sources, but the Zohar, the Holy Zohar, the source of all Jewish mysticism, says flat out that, that it's prohibited to go with uncovered head. And if you do so, you are going to destroy your spiritual life. And that's really bad. Uh, the reason the Zohar insists on men covering their head is so that the fear of heaven will be with them constantly. And that's why we make the blessing every morning that God crowns uh, the Jews with, uh, with beauty, talking about the head covering, so that the fear of heaven will be with them, so that they will be able to live spiritual lives, as it says explicitly in the Zohar. That all this leads from Yosef Karo to the conclusion that there's an obligation, it's not just midas chasidus, not just a pious act above and beyond what halacha requires. Halacha demands that the head be covered. But I don't like the Taz, said for all different reasons. I mean, the Taz said it because the Torah commands us to be different from the non-Jews. Something just happened. Oh, no, no, okay. Um, uh, the, the Taz came to his conclusion because the Torah insists that we be different from non-Jews. The Beis Yosef comes to his conclusion uh, based on his understanding of the meaning of a, of a standard blessing and an explicit passage in the Zohar. Now, this leads to some interesting problems. Uh, uh, according to the according to Rabbi Yosef Karo, and this is not the only place where you read, where Rabbi Yosef Karo is influenced by Zohar 
by Kabbalistic writings. That there are plenty of others that he was himself a great Kabbalist in Tzfat, in the Upper Galilee. We're talking about the early, early 16th century, uh, where there is a conflict between Kabbalistic sources, the Zohar, and halachic sources, the Mishnah, the Gemara, and everything which flows from that, where there is a conflict between mystical sources and halachic sources, well, of course, halachic sources prevail unless the mystical sources are stricter. In those cases where the mystical sources disagree with the halachic sources and the mystical sources are stricter, go with that. Go with the stricter mystical concept. Well, in this case, the halachic sources say it's not required to cover the head. The mystical sources say it is required. The mystical sources are stricter. Go with that. That's, that's a, an underlying principle of the Beis Yosef in general. This is not the only example. There are many cases where, 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 where the Zohar is stricter. He goes bottom line with that. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the role of the Zohar in Jewish life in general and the role of the Zohar in normative Jewish life, what's permitted, what's prohibited, uh, what you have to do, what you're not allowed to do. The role of the Zohar is a subject for a whole separate discussion. The extent to which the Zohar is to be understood allegorically and the extent to which it is to be understood literally, and here he's taking it literally, dictating exactly what we should do or not do in this case. Well, that's a subject for all different discussion on the, on the role of the Zohar in general in Jewish life and the role of the Zohar in, uh, in uh, a normative Jewish life, governing what we do and what we don't do. As far as the Beis Yosef is concerned, well, this would be part of that general discussion he holds. Follow the Zohar whenever the simple, straightforward meaning of the Zohar is stricter than, uh, than that of halachic sources. Okay, now, 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 now let's, um, let, let, let's understand what we've got going here. A little bit of a machlokes. Uh, the machlokes is about, it's going to grow. We're going to see uh, uh, more opinions as we go on. But the, the machlokes is now beginning to grow along the following lines. The mainstream sources, majority mainstream sources, no obligation for men to cover their head. And now we're beginning to hear voices requiring the cover of the head. Now let's take this idea one step further. The, the Gemara says in, in Tractate Brachot, uh, uh, Rav Papa says in the Gemara, whenever you come to make a bracha, involving a cup of wine in your hand, like Kiddush, or, or, or uh, under the chuppah, the blessings are pronounced with, with a cup of wine in your hand. Whenever you come to this situation, ma'atef, one should wrap oneself in a garment. You, you have to wear your outer garment when you do that. You have to be dressed in a very dignified way, not enough to uh, be dressed in your shirt sleeves, you need your jacket, your suit jacket on. That's what Ruf Papa said. We didn't have suit jackets back in those days, but whatever the dignified outer garments would be. Rav Asi's uh, Paris Sudra al Reshe. Rav Asi took a kerchief and, and put it over his head. You know, in those days, they used to wear these garments, uh, which were fairly loose, and you could put part of the garment over your head. Well, he would cover his head with his garment. That's what Rav Asi did before pronouncing a blessing, praising God, using God's name. Now let's think about it for a moment. Uh, he covered his head. According to the mainstream view, there was no obligation for him to cover his head previously, but now when he's coming to recite God's name in a blessing, now he covers his head. It follows, therefore, that according to the mainstream majority view, in general, no head covering is required unless you're coming to recite God's name in a blessing, then you have to cover your head. That would be the mainstream understanding of what Rav Asi is teaching us. Um, according to the Beis Yosef, 
according to the Taz, who insist on men always covering their heads, then of course, if Asi always had a head covering, and when he came to recite God's name, to, to pro proclaim God's name in a blessing, he covered his head with a second covering. According to this view, one covering is always required, and when you come to recite a blessing, you need a second additional covering. That's the opinion of the, that flows out of the opinion of the Beis Yosef and the Taz. According to the mainstream view, since you didn't need your head covered a little bit all before, we're talking here about a single covering being sufficient for brachot. And you, know, you might have observed, depending upon what community you're in, that, 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 that many, some men, well, it depends on the community, some men will insist on a double head covering. When it comes to blessings, for example, a kippah and a hat on top of that or something, or, or something like this, that would be the stricter understanding of Ravasi. And indeed, Bechol Hanach Regilim Haidna Afpaprisas Sudar, the the tour, and the list could be made much longer of other poskim who insist on covering the head for prayer, covering the prayer head for blessings and related kedusha activities, related activities of holiness. Well, according to the mainstream view, they're talking about a single head covering. According to the Taz and the Beis Yosef, it follows that they're talking about a, a second additional head covering for Kedusha activities, for activities having to do with spirituality like prayers and and blessings and so forth and so on. Now, um, uh, we have some tension between these two approaches, and of course everyone's going to have to decide somehow uh, which approach they're going to follow. Let's see if we can get some help in deciding whether or not to follow the mainstream, the majority, which would be the normal thing, or, or, is, there, or is there some good reason to embrace the opinion, the stricter opinion of the minority in this case. Let's take a look at the Orzarua. The Orzarua was uh, back in the days of the Tosafot, he was not actually one of the Tosafot. He lived outside the geographical area of the Tosafot in, in France. He was, he was in the area that today is called uh, Austria. Uh, in any event, uh, the, uh, the Orza who was a contemporary of the Tosafot, was not so happy with those rabbis, with the, the, the rabbis of the Tosafot. He wasn't so happy with them. Why not? He wrote, I don't like I do not like the practice of the rabbis in France. He lived next door to France, and he's talking about the, the, the rabbis of the Tosafot. I do not like the practice of the rabbis in France, the medieval Tosafot, that they pronounce blessings when they are called to the Torah. You know, in the synagogue on Shabbos morning, Mondays, Thursdays, and so forth, they call up Rabbi so-and-so, one of the authors of the Tosafot, to pronounce the blessings over reading the Torah. He walks up to the Torah, and he pronounces the blessings, and so forth and so on. He pronounces the blessings, with his head uncovered. Not only did the Baalei Tosafot walk around all the time with their heads uncovered, even when they were engaged in Kedusha activities, even when they were standing before the congregation, uh, representing the congregation in the, in the blessings on the Torah, even then they left their heads uncovered. And the Orzarua is unhappy with that. But you'll notice in passing that, that the Orzarua is testifying to, uh, is testifying to uh, what the normal practice was back in those days. Uh, in his area in Austria, he covered his head whenever he got a blessing to the, the whenever he was called up to read from the Torah. Did he cover his head all the other time? The rest of them, I suppose he did. Uh, but but in, in, in France, the rabbis didn't. And if in France, the rabbis, the Bali Tosafot, were not covering their head, I don't imagine that uh, uh, the ordinary Jews were doing it either. 
So as far as the historical record is concerned, we have both practices represented in the historical record. Let's go one step further. Let's bring the, I want to bring this down to more contemporary times and see what the more recent great rabbis make out of all of this. We have on the screen now the Ha'elef Lecha Shlomo, the author, was Rav Shlomo Kluger. Rav Shlomo Kluger was the great Rav of Brod in, uh, in the 19th century. He was, uh, he was uh, quite, uh, quite influential, not only in his days, he continues to be very influential till today, but uh, among his characteristics was he was very strict. Rarely did he find room for any leniencies. You know, if you read his, his uh, chuvot, you get the impression, I get the impression, that the muscles of his fingers were so, accomp so accustomed to writing the word asur that he found it difficult to force the pen into the word mutar, permitted. But uh, he, he was strict. Let's see what he says about this whole issue. 19th century Brod in Eastern Europe. The Inyan Gilui Roche, as far as uncovering the head is concerned, in my humble opinion, the last week we looked at the Rambam. Last week, when we were studying the words of the Rambam, uh, Maimonides, we saw that Rambam wrote that a Talmud Hachem, a rabbinic scholar, must be a model of conduct for the community. The, 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 the Talmud Hachem, the rabbinic scholar, must always be careful that his clothing is clean. He must always be careful that his clothing cover his entire body, that he not have holes in his in his elbows, holes in the clothing, and his elbows, the, the skin shows through. It has to be a model of proper conduct for the community. And among other things, the Talmud Hachem, the rabbinic scholar, the Rambam said, must always walk around with his head covered. Well, we understood from that that the Rambam is among the majority of poskim, the mainstream poskim, who hold that in general, there's no obligation for head covering at all. It's the rabbinic scholar, the rabbis, who have to cover their heads because they are role models. But but but, but Shlomo Kluger doesn't understand it that way at all. So Shlomo Kluger says one should not distinguish between rabbinic scholars and anyone else. Everyone should have the same standards applied to him. Well, why should the same standards apply to everyone? It has to be. We have to apply the same. We have to apply the same standards of, of of proper conduct to everyone, whether you're a rabbinic scholar or not, for the following simple reason. If we have two standards of conduct, a higher standard required of the rabbis and a lower standard required of everyone else, if we would do that, then the rabbis would be guilty of prideful, haughty behavior when they followed their rules. Well, the, 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 among the things that the Torah really doesn't like, among the things that are really bad, is, is haughty behavior, prideful behavior. You're not supposed to be ga'e, uh, ga'ava. Let's get that spelled on uh, chat. Ga'ava, uh, pridefulness, haughtiness is bad. And, uh, and, and if, if we would have two standards of behavior requiring the rabbinic scholars to cover their head, but not ordinary people, then as soon as someone would say, I'm a rabbinic scholar, I cover my head because I'm a very intelligent, uh, very well-educated uh, rabbinic scholar, that would be an act of haughtiness. That would be an act of pridefulness. That, that can't be right. And therefore, of course, everyone should cover their heads. 
you'll notice you'll notice in passing that he doesn't even consider the opposite possibility. Uh, you could equalize everyone by saying no one should cover his head. I mean, that would be another way of equalizing everyone, but that doesn't even begin to consider as a possibility. The way to equalize everyone's behavior so that the rabbinic scholars will not be prideful or haughty is to insist that everyone cover their head. Something is required, should be required by all. Uh, sounds sort of like a like a Kantian uh, a Kantian uh, way of looking at things. Okay, uh, uh, I do not mean to imply that he was influenced by Kant, even though he lived after Kant. The whole hamidgae dochek ragle ashchina haughtiness or pridefulness is really bad. It's like uh, it, it's like uh, he says uh, pushing against the feet of the divine presence, which is over us. That's a poetic way of saying it, it's like being unaware, rejecting your awareness of God's presence. Anyone who has a who has a sense of God's presence in the world will, of course, behave modestly and not haughtily, not pridefully. Someone who is prideful, someone who is haughty, uh, the, the, the divine presence will leave that person, that person will lose his spirituality. It can't be simultaneously a spiritual person and a haughty person or a prideful person. The two don't mix in a single soul. And if you are prideful, if you are haughty, you lose your spirituality. Uh, bottom line, everyone has to cover their head. That is the position of Rushlomo Kluger. Ladati, in my opinion, and he's entitled to his opinion, he was a great rabbi. Uh, although we do not distinguish, although we cannot distinguish between rabbinic scholars and ordinary people, although everyone must cover his head, there is a difference regarding how much of the head What's the area of the head that has to be covered? We can talk about little covering or a lot of covering of the head. What difference is there between a little covering and a lot of covering of the head? The idea that you shouldn't walk four cubits or more, that's one cubit from elbow to top finger, the whole idea you shouldn't walk four cubits or more Mashma, that implies pachasme arba amos muta. Well, if you're just sitting in one place or not going a great distance, just a, a, you know, a foot or two, uh, uh, then you don't need to cover your head at all. It's just if you're walking a longer distance, four cubits, four cubits is not such a long distance, but only, only, only if it's from that distance above, you have to cover your head. Hainu rakpa miksat kilui rosh. Any little head covering will be sufficient to cover you, to get you off the hook for walking with uncovered head for a, a distance of four cubits or more. Any little head covering, the smallest head, as long as there's some head covering, you're kosher and you're covered, covered in both senses of the meaning, both meaning of the word. Uh, if you're under the sky, you're outside the house, and you're under the sky, Walking less than four cubits is okay with uncovered head. More than four cubits needs some covering of the head. No, 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 he says. Uh, uh, we, we can't take that lenient route. We have to be stricter than that. I hope I emphasize strongly enough that he's a very strict posik, very strict rabbi. If you're going to walk in public outside of the house, well, here you need your whole head covered. If you're just sitting in your house, not going anywhere, then some head covering is required. Masha Amru Chazal, what it says in the Gemara, and we saw this passage last week, Taisili, may I merit? that my head be covered, that's talking about some minimal covering. That is Midas Hasidus. Some minimal head covering is an act of piety if you are standing 
one if you're standing at home, if you're sitting at home and not going anywhere. But as soon as you leave the building, the place where you work or the place where you live, as soon as you're in public, you need complete head covering. According to this, a little kippah is enough inside the building, but before you leave the building, you have to put on a proper hat, which is going to cover your entire head. Walking is a factor if it's a distance of four cubits or more. Uh, now, now uh, uh, bottom line, call Harosh Medina Asa, there has to always be some covering, and the complete covering, namely, namely a proper hat, is required outside the house. Now, uh, depending upon what community you live in, uh, you, you might have met, you might have seen people who follow exactly this practice. In my holy neighborhood where I live, here in Yerushalayim, I live in a neighborhood which is, which is wall-to-wall Haredim, and there are many people who are following exactly this practice. When they're at home, they'll have a, a small kippah on. Before they leave the house, they'll put on a proper hat and will not appear in public without a proper hat on. Now, 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 uh, this, uh, the, this chuva of, uh, of, uh, of Shlomo Kluger creates a certain problem for people like me. Now, let me explain to you what I'm like, and then you'll understand why a chuva like this is particularly problematic for, for me. I am among those who always view halacha, Jewish law, as a growing, evolving, developing system. Look, look at the historical scope of halacha from the earliest times till today, and I see a growing, a vibrant, growing, developing, evolving system. And, and, and people who view the historical scope of halacha in this way. Uh, not everyone does. Some people think halacha is simply immutable and unchangeable and always was and always will be exactly the same. But people who view halacha as a changing, developing, evolving system, people like that, like that are forced to the conclusion that halacha ke'acharon. Let's get that on, on chat. Halacha ke'acharon, where there is a change, where there is a development, where there is an evolution in halachic thinking in the course of time, the definitive, the normative, the required halacha is the more recent, evolved, developed form of halacha. As halacha changes in the course of time, you can't go back to earlier forms and follow them. You have to stick with the current forms of uh, of halacha. That's where there's and that seems to be exactly what's going on here. Uh, the earlier sources, you know, from the Talmud and you know, all, all the earlier sources, seem to be quite clear and straightforward. No obligation to cover the head. As we go down century by century to, to more contemporary times, uh, the the attitude of the rabbi seems to have changed and is becoming more and more strict on this particular issue. It's not the time and place to talk about uh, general trends of strictness in halacha, but surely in this case, uh, surely in this case, that's what we see. So uh, does that mean that someone who views the history of halacha as the history of a growing, changing, evolving system has to follow the stricter contemporary views? Oh, this creates a little bit of tension in my mind. This creates a little bit of tension for me. Um, uh, uh, think of uh, think of a non-Jewish parallel situation. Imagine that imagine that you are a lawyer, a defense lawyer, pleading the case of your of your client in a non-Jewish court somewhere in the world, uh, it doesn't matter where in the world, you're, what kind of court you're in, non-Jewish court, uh, and you, the lawyer, representing your defendant, you, you speak to the judge, and you say, judge, it's true that my client did what he is accused of doing, but judge, 
in our country, the law was different 300 years ago. According to the law in our country 300 years ago, what my, what my clients did was not a crime at all. Please decide the case according to the law as it was in our country 300 years ago and free my, free my client. Well, 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 this is just laughable, isn't it? Where there are changes, developments, evolution in the course of a legal system, of course, you have to follow the more recent structure of the system. The halacha is in accord with the more recent opinions, not the earlier opinions. And if it's true in, in non-Jewish law, uh, all the more so, deal. Is it true in uh, in halacha according to according to people who view halacha in this way? So what am I going to do? What am I going to do? According to this, I, I would like to be able to advise people in accord with the earlier sources, but I'm a little bit stuck here. Let's see what we can do to get some clarity on this issue. For Moshe Feinstein, surely the greatest of the rabbis of North America uh, in the 20th century, one of the all-time great rabbis anywhere, Ramosha Feinstein uh, was asked about this question precisely. And he wrote as follows, Harotzel Hachmir, someone who wishes to be strict above and beyond what is required, Sarich Lechasot Rov Rosho, Someone who wishes to be strict above and beyond what is required has to cover the majority of his head. That's being strict above and beyond what required. Well, above and beyond what is required. Uh, you're not required to cover a majority of the head, but if you wish to be strict, that's what you should do. Who rove hakovaim? Most ordinary hats do that. Uh, Yarmulkes. That's the, the the Yiddish word for a kippah. Most well, my kippah is a pretty big one. Uh, uh, the, the kippot that he was familiar with, the, the big ones, uh, do that. My kippah is pretty big, so it covers the majority of my head. So I'm, I'm, I, 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 I'm okay with Rabbi Moshe Feinstein. What's required, according to him, is covering some of the head. The strict position, which is not required, but advisable and commendable, is covering a majority of the head. Aval Medina, as far as the bottom line requirement of halacha is concerned, the din, the bottom line requirement of halacha, as far as that is concerned, we're not required to be careful about a majority of head covering. It's enough some head covering. Since, after all, the whole business derives from sources which talk about an act of piety above and beyond what's required at all, so of course we're not going to require a majority of the head, we're only going to require some head covering. Nowadays, since Torah observant men covering their head has become the minhag. Since Torah observant men nowadays have a standard minhag, a practice uh, to cover their heads, now it has changed. The status of covering heads has changed from a mere act of piety above and beyond what is required into something which is now required. It's become, it's become a required minhag. Of course, look, look the, the uh, of course, you, of course, the point you make on chat is, is a very good point. Uh, uh, mistakes don't count. Mistakes don't count. And, and people, uh, whether we're talking about an, an individual basis, an individual person, or a whole community, it doesn't matter whether we're talking about a community practice or an individual person's practice, uh, a practice which is based on a mistake is of no standing. Of course, that doesn't mean anything. But, but a practice, whether it's a community practice or an individual's practice, if there is some good reason for it, if it's not a mistake, then, then, then that creates a minhag. And once you have a minhag, the minhag becomes obligatory. The mechanism by which a minhag, a practice embraced by an individual or embraced by a community, can become obligatory, 
the mechanism by which this becomes obligatory is very interesting and very important, but that's the subject of all different series of, of shiurim, which, which I have given on Web Yeshiva, and you can download, download that series if you're interested on minhagim, but how a minhag becomes obligatory. That's an interesting question and an important question, but not for us today. According to Moshe Feinstein, nowadays all Torah observant men do it. Therefore, it's a minhag, and therefore, being a minhag, it is required. Right. Lachain, therefore, If you have some covering so that a normal, rational, reasonable person would say, yes, he has some covering and it's some noticeable covering. You're allowed to walk in the street, you're allowed to walk in public as long as you have some covering. You can even make brachot, pronounce blessings, as long as you have some covering on your head. Many Torah observant men are doing that. As long as you have some covering on the head, well, you're okay uh, walking in public, making blessings, and so forth and so on. You can't consider men who are wearing a kippah, and just a simple kippah and not a hat. You can't consider them to be, uh, uh, to be uh, lightheaded. You cannot consider them to be uh, frivolous. You cannot consider them to be uh, not, not serious in their Judaism. They're fine, kosher Jews. Some covering is all that's required. Well, well, well you'll see. You see that the strict view is has been embraced right, right down into the 20th century by Rav Moshe Feinstein, the greatest of the 20th century postcom in North America. Now I'm even in deeper hot water. Uh, it, 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 the, the idea, the strict position is becoming firmly embedded in the thinking of contemporary rabbis. Um, well, uh, there are some situations, namely Kedusha activities. There are some situations, uh, prayer, blessings, uh, learning Torah. There are some activities, Kedusha activities, holy activities, which, uh, which we can have some, even I can have some uh, peace of mind and some clarity in requiring head covering. Let's see what Rabbeinu, what Rabbeinu Yeruchim wrote. Rabbeinu Yeruchim was one of the great medieval authorities. Here he's quoted by the Beit Yosef, Rabbi Yosef Karo. Asur levarech b'kilui rosh. The whole discussion in the Gemara about covering the head, uh, being an act of piety, all that whole discussion has to do with just going about your daily affairs. But if you're not just going about your daily affairs, if you're engaged in a Kedusha activity, prayer, blessings, stuff like that, well, you, you, you have to cover your head for that. Uh, well, it's very interesting that a medieval rabbi said that. We never actually saw a source for this idea. In fact, there is no source for this idea in the Talmud, in the, in the Mishnah or Gemara, and, and, and an idea which just pops up in later generations is very weak and uh, uh, of, no, of, of no standing unless we can find a source for the idea in the words of the great rabbis back in the days of the Mishnah and Gemara. And there is a source from those days, but not actually in the Talmud, not actually in the Gemara. It's in the Sechet Sofrim. There are a number of very short tractates which are not included in the standard editions of the Talmud. And then nowadays, they usually get printed in the back. These very short tractates usually get printed in the back of standard editions of the Gemara nowadays, but they're really separate works. And one of them is a tractate called Sofrim, having to do primarily with the laws of writing of Sefer Torah, Mezuzah, Tzvillin, the things that scribes need to know. That's primarily what's in there. But it's a fairly long, as for the short tractates, it's a fairly long one. And there it is written, Poheach, someone who has holes in his clothing. His clothing is tattered, and there are holes 
in the clothing because he has tattered clothing, and you can see his skin underneath his clothing. Someone whose clothing has holes in it, or the seams have come undone. The seams have come open, and now you can see uh, uh, the seams are open, and therefore you can see his skin underneath the underneath the garment. Oh, Misha Roshomegula, or someone whose head is uncovered, even though there's something a little bit uh, disreputable about the way this person appears in public, not so dignified. Uh, uh, you can see his skin because because there are holes in his clothing or because the seams in his garment have opened up. Or Rosho Migule, or his head is uncovered, a little bit unseemly, a little bit undignified. Even though his head is uncovered, nonetheless, it says, Pares Ashma. Nonetheless, he's allowed to lead the congregation in the morning prayers when it comes to Shema Yisrael. Still allowed to be a, a leader of the community and lead the prayers, be a chazan, uh, even though uh, you seem the seams of your garment have opened up. Second opinion. Masechus Sofran brings two opinions. The first opinion was it's okay for him to be the chazan. Second opinion. Yesh Omrim, some people say, second opinion, that if it's only a matter of the seams opening up, that's okay. He can be the chazan. Avaloba Rosh Megula, but not if his head is uncovered. Some people say if the head is uncovered, you cannot be the chazan. She'eno rashay lahotzi chazgaram because if your head is uncovered, you're not allowed to utter God's name. Since uh, if your head is uncovered, you're not allowed to utter God's name, of course you cannot be the chazan leading the people in Shema Yisrael in the morning prayers. Two opinions in tractate Sofrim. According to the first opinion, even if, even if the chazan has uncovered heads, no problem, go for it. According to the second opinion, since no one is allowed to utter God's name with uncovered head, so, of course, he cannot be the chazan unless your head is covered. Well, it seems here that we have a machlokas, two opinions, a disagreement about whether or not you are allowed to recite a blessing with uncovered head. Since the great medieval rabbi, the great Rishon, Rabbi Yeruchim, paskened, embraced the strict side of this controversy, that's the side we follow. After all, this is our derech, this is our method in establishing halacha. Wherever there's a controversy in, in the, back in the days of the Talmud, whenever there's a controversy back in the days of the Gemara, we always look to the Rishonim, we always look to the great medieval authorities, which way did they decide? And where, where the medieval authorities decided one way or another, the way they decided, the way the great Rishonim decided, the way the, way the great, the great uh, 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 medieval authorities decided, that's determinative, that's the opinion we follow. And, and of course, this, this fits perfectly with uh, uh, my view of things, that halacha is a developing, evolving system, and once, and, and once a decision has been made by the earlier rabbis about which opinion to follow, you can't go back and, and choose the other opinion anymore. Well, uh, uh, this is exactly the approach of the Beis Yosef. The great rabbis of the Talmudic period disagreed about whether or not it's permissible to utter, a, a God, utter God's name without a head covering. Uh, Rabbi Yerucham decided in favor of the strict view, as with every other decision of the Rishonim, we, we respect that decision, and that becomes our normative, definitive halacha. Well, according to Beis Yosef, you have to cover your head whenever you utter God's name. And remember, he was among the ones who said 
that you all men always have to walk around with covered heads, and therefore, when you want to utter God's name, you're going to need a, a second covering in addition, according to the Beis Yosef. Uh, not surprisingly, the Beis Yosef or Yosef Kara was a, one of the all-time great Sephardic authorities, and therefore, it's not surprising that this uh, stricter practice is more common in Sephardic communities. But uh, uh, depending upon what community you live in, surely in mine, which is predominantly an Ashkenaz community, uh, many Ashkenazim have embraced this stricter view as well. Well, 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 uh, things are getting worse and worse as we, as we examine more and more sources. More and more sources are requiring a full head covering. And indeed, the Shulchan Aruch itself, Paskins, and these are the words of the Shulchan Aruch. Yeshomrim she'asur lahotziyaz karam lepiv berosh megula. Shulchan Aruch, the Shulchan Aruch, brings two opinions. Some people hold you're not allowed to utter God's name with uncovered head. The Shulchan Aruch continues and says, Yeshomrim she'esh limchot she'olakanez lebeit kineset begilu irosh. Some people hold we shouldn't even allow anyone to enter the synagogue with uncovered head. Okay. Now, here in the Shulchan Aruch, we have two opinions, each of which are introduced with the words Yeshomrim. Some people say, some poskim say, some authorities hold. Yeshomrim, some authorities hold. You have to cover your head for every utterance of God's name. Yeshomrim, some authorities hold that uh, you're not even allowed to set foot in the synagogue with your head uncovered. Uh, you've surely seen, uh, as I have seen, uh, when, when tourists uh, come to look at uh, certain well-known synagogues, uh, there's someone standing by the door handing out the uh, kippot to make sure that all the men who enter the synagogue will have their heads covered. That's the yesh omrim. That's in accord with the yesh omrim, the opinion of the Shulchan Aruch. Now, now you, 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 you'll notice also that the Shulchan Aruch um, uh, the Shulchan Aruch formulates his opinion uh, in a way that he hedges a little bit. Yesh Omrim, some people say, implying that there's another opinion. But in this particular case, the Shulchan Aruch only quotes the Yesh Omrim, only quotes this opinion. There are other opinions, but this is the opinion which I follow. This is the opinion which I embrace. I don't have to emphasize to you how weighty the opinion of the uh, the opinion of the Mishnah Brewer, uh, the opinion of the Shulchan Aruch is, and and therefore you've probably seen yourself with when the tourists come to visit the famous synagogue and they want to admire the architecture and the artwork and so forth, whatever whatever it is, someone will hand out kippot uh, to all the men entering, shouldn't even enter the synagogue with uncovered head. Well, you know, we're getting stricter and stricter and stricter. Uh, 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 not only when you utter God's name, do you require a head covering, but just to set foot in the synagogue, you require it. Um, the last opinion, which we're going to look at today, is the Nimuki Yosef. The Nimuki Yosef was written by, his name was Rav, Rav, Rav Shapiro, Rav, Rav Eloza Shapiro. That name is not well known in the Yeshiva world. Uh, he's, uh, he's better known as the Munkach Rav. He was the Rav of Munkach, which is a major community in, uh, in, uh, in Hungary, back in the, in the end of the 19th century. Uh, first, uh, he quotes the strict opinion. Ozer uh, Yisrael Begevura. One of the standard blessings uh, we make in the morning is Ozer Yisrael Begevura. Uh, God, God girds, uh, girds the Jewish people with uh, with uh, mightiness, and then Oter Yisrael Tiferat, then the blessing of uh, God, God uh, crowning the Jewish people with beauty, the blessing, which led the Beis Yosef to his conclusion that men have to cover have to cover their head. Other blessings uh, in the morning are not formulated in this way. The other blessings 
in the morning in the whole sequence of standard morning blessings, the other blessings do not mention Yisrael, do not mention the Jewish people. All the other blessings in the standard list in the morning have to do with the whole wide world. Uh, uh, these two blessings, including the one covering the head, has to do with the Jewish people. And that's why Yisrael, the Jewish people, are mentioned in this blessing. As far as the other blessings in the morning are concerned, uh, the whole world, uh, the, whole world the whole population of the world is involved. These two blessings refer to special Jewish behavior. And be Israel they apply to Jews only, and they have to do with modesty. Covering the head is an element of modesty which is required for the Jewish people. Hagura, the, the, the idea of the blessing that God girds the Jewish people with might is what's the girding talking about? Something about a belt that you wear. That, that separates the, the heart from the genitals. That's an act of modesty. And uh, just like covering the head is also an act of modesty, but these are ideas which apply to the Jewish people and only the Jewish people. Kova humishum sniut. Therefore, wearing a hat is a matter of modest behavior. As it says in the Gemara, Cover your head out of awe, fear, awe of the Lord. One covers the head in awe of the Lord. That's an act of modesty. God is great. We are small. And covering the head is an expression of our smallness in the presence of God. Uh, well, uh, uh, this is something that we Jews are required to do, but we Jews are required to cover the head as an expression of modesty. He goes on and says, It follows, therefore, that men covering their head is not a simple act of piety. It's not only an act of piety above and beyond what halacha requires, Rak Medina, it's absolutely a din, absolutely halachically required to cover the head. Shemavachim Aleh, after all, is a blessing to be pronounced on men covering their head every day. And the blessing that we say every morning, the covering that God covers the head, it refers to wearing a hat. That's the Jewish religion. Absolutely required, it's absolutely required to cover your head with a hat. That was the opinion of the Munkachi Rafa, of course, always, of course, always wore a hat, whether it was indoors or, or outdoors. You know, his, um, his gabai, his assistant, wrote a, a brief biographical sketch of him once, uh, among other things, the Munkachi Rebbe. Used to, the Munkachurov used to immerse himself in a mikveh every morning before prayers. And of course, uh, he would disrobe before entering, uh, before immersing in the mikveh. But he kept his hat on. He would disrobe before immersing himself in the mikveh. But he kept his hat on. And as he uh, walked down the steps into the, into the mikveh water, just as he was ready to dunk his head under the water, the gabai, the assistant, would pluck the, 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 the hat off his head. He would immerse himself under the water, uh, uh, rise again out of the water, and, and uh, the, the assistant would, would put the, the hat right back on. That was his approach. You always need a hat. That's an expression of modesty. And, uh, and uh, the Torah, of course, uh, thinks that uh, the Torah teaches us that sniut, Modest conduct is terribly important. Uh, ma, uh, what does God require of you? Hatsnea lechet ib Hashem. The prophet says, what does God require of you? God requires going modestly with God. A Jew who goes modestly with God is fulfilling his prime requirement. There's nothing more important 
than modest behavior, and modest behavior is defined according to the Munkacha Rav as uh, as uh, covering the head. Okay, uh, last week we saw all the lenient views. This week we saw all the strict views. Uh, next week we're going to see how we can harmonize all this and tie it all together. But that'll be for our class next week. Until then, I wish you a good week and a Shabbat Shalom and look forward to seeing you all again a week from tonight. Until then, Shalom, Shalom.